punctuates it, and he creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Coyle, and the Leafs are moved again! Hello, welcome to the Nesson Bruins podcast on Nesson.com's Mike Cole. Joined, as always, by Nesson.com's Logan Mullen. Logan, I would ask you how you're doing, but that would be disingenuous considering we've been talking for the last 20 minutes. We have. So, so what's up? <laughs> uh, you know, same stuff. Changed rooms today. Um, yeah, I see that. That's that's about it. Yeah. Wow. And that's I, I mean that's par for the course in this uh, in these quote unquote unprecedented times. It's, yeah, uh, some unprecedented indeed. <laughs> At what point does it become precedented? Uh, that's At what, what point I said. is it like you know what this is this is life now. So. I think we crossed that th- crossed that threshold quite a while ago. Uh, yeah, and, probably. And that, at this point, it would be unprecedented to have uh, live sports back. I think it's, it's, it's easy to forget that we have now gone three months just about without professional sports. Three plus months. Yeah. I think we were – we're recording this on June 17th, so there were no sports on St. Patrick's Day, correct? We were, were not. No, they had pretty much shut down by that. So I think we're, uh, you know, double-digit weeks into this. That's, uh, yeah. that's pretty sad to think about. But – Uh, It sounds like there is some reason for optimism if you are anticipating or looking forward to return of sports. Uh, The NBA on Tuesday uh, leaked (laughs) uh, its comprehensive return-to-play plan uh, for Disney World. Uh, As we are recording this, there is back and forth going on about a potential baseball return, uh, which would have been staggering news 24 to 48 hours ago. Uh, and the NHL continues to plug along. Um, I think it was last week, a day or two after you and I convened for our recording, uh, the NHL announced that phase three of its return to play plan would uh, begin July 10th, which basically says teams can go back to practicing uh, formally, all together, basically training camp uh, on July 10th. Uh, do you have any reaction to that? I just I assume that's just kind of the next step. I don't think there's a whole lot to the game. Yeah, I mean, I kind of made my main point a few weeks ago where I'm glad that the return to team facilities and the start of training camp are two separate phases and two phases that are at very different stages just because for a lot of guys, the big issue here is getting back into skating shape mm-hmm. uh, and, and, trying, yeah. and trying not to get injured. So I think that in allowing guys to basically get on ice workouts, those who didn't go to Europe or didn't have the option to go to Europe, um, you know, this allows them to get, I don't want to say as close to normal as possible because it's not, they're not going to be, you know, in the best skating shape they've ever been, but at least get themselves in a position to where the lion's share of training camp practices aren't going to be spent just trying to get back into skating shape. Yeah, I think it's good, too, to kind of – and Don Sweeney touched on just the difficulties or the challenges of this new normal, uh, which is another buzz term in this uh, this it life is. that we live in now. This, in this new normal. Yeah. Um, but he kind of talked about the difficulties and the challenges, and I think that's the other good thing, too, is, you know, from a purely scientific or medical standpoint, you probably wanted to take it slow. Um, and you know, allow that, you know, basically a month to, to kind of get back into it before training camps begin. But I also think it allows the teams to kind of figure out what their best practices are regarding how they're going to do it. Uh, you know, it allows them to kind of get used to 
you know, having to deep clean things that maybe they didn't deep clean before or do it twice as much as maybe they have in the past and et cetera, et cetera. And there are still things to kind of be uh, ironed out here too. Like, don't forget, like we still don't know what cities these teams are going, going to. Uh, yeah. It sounded like we were going to learn the hub cities uh, sometime this week. Now, according to TSN, uh, it's more likely that we learn those hub cities next week. So that's still, uh, that can has been kicked down the road a little bit farther. Um, and one thing I did want to talk about today was kind of using the NBA's return to play plan as a, uh, as a blueprint or maybe a preview of what we could see from the NHL. Yeah. Um, I know it has been your contention this entire time, basically, that the NHL felt more than willing to let sit back and allow the NBA to kind of guide the way and, and figure out how this was going to look and kind of take tenants from that and, you know, you know, borrow where they seem fit. Uh, the NHL made a shrewd move to kind of jump the gun and say, we're coming back, and they beat everybody else to that. But there hasn't yeah. been a whole lot of movement since then. And I think there are some things in this NBA plan that are going to be of particular interest to the uh, NHL. The, the most important, perhaps, especially what we heard from Bruins players in recent days, is how are friends, family, loved ones going to be – are they going to be involved or included in the bubble if and when, et cetera, et cetera. I think the NBA, if I'm not mistaken – you go for a month basically, and if you're still around after that, friends and family can or family can come in. Yeah, I imagine the NHL would have a similar plan in place. At least they should, because it sounds like people like David Krejci and John Moore, yeah. are, you know, have some major reservations about going to this bubble without their family. Yeah, it sounds like it would be a non-starter for many guys to have to basically leave their families indefinitely. I certainly don't blame them. I mean, I think most of them are well aware of, you know, the the nature of the industry with which they work. However, they didn't sign up to leave their families yeah. for three months. Like that's, I know, you know, new normal, yada, yada, yada. Like, especially during this time, you cannot coerce guys into leaving for multiple months. And I think the last thing that the NHL wants is either a, well, is a crappy product that's the result of guys saying, I'm not coming back under these circumstances. Um, and so I think it's in their best interest to figure out a way to let these guys bring, maybe it is just their immediate family. And then you slowly start to expand it the further you go on. Okay, you got friends, you know, whatever, within the realm of reason. But I don't see any way they get back to playing. Just from, and it's, it is conjecture, but it's also engaging things that we've heard from guys like, you know, John Moore and David Krejci saying that's their biggest concern. Um, and so I, I think anything, any plan, any actual concrete return to play, here's how we're going to do it from a safety perspective, a health perspective, all that stuff, anything that doesn't include at least letting immediate family come is going to be a non-starter. Which is, I like the idea that, and I don't know if they did this on purpose or, or what. And, you know, I like what the NBA did with it because, you know, as once you get a month in, you know, there's going to be fewer teams there. So you can kind of offset the change. You know what I mean? Like as teams get eliminated, you are only gone for three weeks. And that's, right. I mean, sure, that's still three weeks, but it's, you know, a little easier to take than eight. Uh, and then as that happens, and it is also kind of motivation, I guess, which is a, real messed up way of putting it but it's like yeah. you want to see your families well either you, you lose or if you advance you get to at some point too if you make it to a certain point i don't yeah. know it's something to, to keep in mind 
because like either way they, I guess you know allowing them to come in at a certain point kind of you know limits the amount of time you can go without seeing your family which is just a weird that like I again it's so easy sometimes to like step back and be like that's a very strange sentence to say when we're talking about hockey in the year 2020 <laughs> yeah I mean this this math I don't know how much it's going to check out but if you take the NBA plan once you wipe out all the teams and once you get down from 24 to 16 basically if you let the guys from the 16 teams bring their immediate families in then that's pretty much going to be roughly the same amount of numbers as you know having full teams there um so I don't know but I do I do wonder how that changes with the NHL though where it's multiple hubs there will be traveling at some point uh, if I'm not mistaken, because like I mean, obviously, if you win, you know, the Eastern Conference is playing in Toronto. The you know the conference champion has to go to Vegas or wherever at a certain point. And I've, I think I even saw somewhere like that they might have all the conference finals in the same spot. But yeah. whatever, so there's going to be travel involved. And you know, no disrespect to Toronto or especially Vegas, but like it doesn't have the same allure from a family standpoint that Disney does. It's not like, you know, I guess Vegas is a little bit easier because, you know, the hotels and stuff and the strip, it's all fairly central and localized. But, like, uh, I think that is also something that the NHL is going to have to consider where maybe it was a little bit easier for the NBA to do that, saying, like, you know, we can kind of spread out but keep everybody enclosed at the same time. So that's just yeah. another thing to kind of keep in mind. Um, what is there anything from that? the NBA's plan or anything you've heard or seen that you think can best suit the NHL? I thought it was funny that the NBA basically is putting the better teams in the better hotels. Yes, that was awesome. But it's funny. It, you know, you're going to end up, you know, with a freaking wizard staying at like Fort Wilderness. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I don't know how they would do I don't know. NHL or uh, right, Las Vegas yeah. hotels well enough to figure that out. But well, there are different plans too that it sounds like they're going to use hotels that don't have casinos in them. So like, yeah, right. There goes that. Uh, it doesn't sound like they certainly it doesn't sound like they're going to be staying at like you know, Caesars or yeah the, the flamingo or anything like that. This, and this isn't necessarily new, but and this might be a segue into our next thing here but like i think we're learning that the nba and the nhl are going to operate under the approach that one positive test is not going to shut things down and i think if you said that two months ago we'd be like you're out of your freaking mind um but i got that from reading the nba proposal and i think it's clear that they're trying to test so often and have so much contact tracing set up that if there is one positive test then it's not going to completely railroad things. Well, and that speaks to the the importance of the testing and the frequency with which they test, you know, just this past week, uh, the Bruins announced that a a player tested positive. Um, They got one positive test and then two subsequent negative tests. So um, the player is also asymptomatic. They haven't been to warrior yet. Uh, that I like that right there is almost a, a you know a an example of how you can if you're testing and you're testing at the right times and you're testing frequently enough 
you can get out in front of it. Like, as far as we know, nobody else has tested positive on the Bruins. So, like, you know, keeping, you know, that isolation and then obviously the tracing and the, and the testing itself allows you to kind of, you know, isolate it. And it, it allows you to, you know, hopefully nip it in the bud uh, and make sure you're not, you know, having a widespread uh, um, spread. So, like, but the, the other thing is, too, is, like, the virus kind of does what it wants and it can right. do it under the cloak of an invisibility until until there is testing. So, uh, like I said, it's just, if, if we're testing, you know, frequently uh, at a high volume, then you're going to obviously have a better chance of getting through this without a huge outbreak that's going to jeopardize your entire season. Uh, and I do, yeah, I'm with you. I think if, if, we're, if we're testing a lot and, you know, guys are getting on the ice knowing that they're negative and they haven't tested positive, I think it allows hockey to kind of just be hockey and you yeah. know, make a whole lot of uh, steps to, you know, if it's, it's like that whole thing, like with baseball, like do they need to have masks or can they, you know, do they need to not be able to spit if they know that they're all negative? I don't know. I'm not smart yeah. enough to know that. But well, that's, matter. that's my thing is it's like, I, I feel the exact same way and I can't help but wonder if I'm being short sighted and I'm sure there are medical people who know far more than we do about this, but it's like, I look at it and say, you're testing a guy every day when he shows up to the rink and it's coming back negative. Then why should that impact the game? It seems yeah. like at least to a degree, the NHL feels the same way because there, uh, there's the report and it might've been today that they're not going to require face shields or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you guys don't have to wear the fishbowl or whatever, but it, it, that to me is an indication that they think, okay, well, if you're showing up and you're, testing negative then you know for the purpose of having the best possible product of a game like we're just going to let guys proceed as normal once they hit the ice not not only that i don't think they can say this but it's also one of those things where if you're on the ice like you're banging into each other and you're sharing those close quarters like i don't know is the bubble really gonna right change a whole lot i don't know i'm not well yeah i mean it's you watch the soccer, you watch like the Bundesliga and these guys are sitting behind the bench or sitting in the stands with a mask on the substitutes. And then they go and they check into the game within three seconds. They're colliding with someone with no mask on. Yeah. Like, I but like, I don't have as much of a problem with that. Like, it, cause whatever, you know, if you're sitting there, you might as well wear a mask, but sure. Yeah. You know, with hockey, it's a little bit different where like the bubbles can restrict these guys and make them feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess it's apples and oranges and maybe I'm speaking out both sides of my mouth with this, but it just feels like they're going to give it a go. And that is what it is. Yeah. So, um, what's your, uh, what's your confidence meter, uh, uh, this week? I think I was at a nine last week and I'll probably just stay there. I'm, I'm like as close to a hundred percent sure that they're coming back as could be, but I also don't want to say anything with complete certainty because who the hell knows. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's why I'll stay steady at a nine until there is a, uh, a major development either way. I need to start writing down what I was last week. Cause I don't know what I was last week. I think I was up around an eight, seven or eight, yeah. whatever it is, I would go back at least one, maybe one and a half because I'm a little spooked by the, the jump in cases around the country. And I wonder if there's a point that it continues to rise where the NHL or any of these leagues have to be like, I don't know about that. The irony too of the, the not to get off on a tangent, but the baseball thing where, you know, they originally, one of the original plans to throw it around was we can have 
pods or whatever in three different areas. They said Florida, Arizona, Arizona, Texas, Texas, the three hot spots across the country right now. So that would have been bad. But uh, from a baseball standpoint, at least there are, there are teams, multiple teams in those three States. California has got a bunch of teams that's continuing to, they've seen a a recent uptick again. Uh, As far as I know, Nevada hasn't been that bad in in regards to the NHL in, in Vegas, but, you know, again, it's one or two bad days and all of a sudden maybe the conversation changes. So I'm a little more pessimistic than I was. You also have Anthony Fauci coming out and saying like baseball, like maybe not going to October. And it's like, if we're already talking about it like that, yikes that, you know, so maybe I'm at a seven or an eight right now, um, mm-hmm. maybe knock it down a peg, but you know, not only get ahead of ourselves, but in terms of the next hockey season, maybe I'm at more of like a four. Like if you start going, you know, big picture thinking, because it sounds like things are going to get uh, worse before they get better. But that is kind of what we're dealing with, you know, and these things change so completely fast that it's hard to, to know for sure. But I don't know. It sounds like, I mean, clearly they're going to give it a go. And I will say, I told you this uh, when you and I were on a call real quick before we, we got on here. Um, if we had done this 24 hours ago with just the complete crap show that baseball had become, (laughs) I was, and with some of the, the NBA before the NBA report came out yesterday, like hockey looked like the front runner to be, to, to make it turn. Cause there was some, it sounded like there was some, uh, some questions about the NBA's return. And obviously baseball sounded like they might not even have a season, but that, you know, again, this is kind of just an example of how quickly things can change. So, yeah. Um, Let's uh, let's dig into the Bruins a little bit more specifically. We already talked about the you know the testing thing. They are back. They've been practicing at Warrior. Um, shout out to the Bruins for sending out photos and videos. Uh, oh, I know that's been. I was not expecting that. That's been fantastic. But it's nice. It's proof that they are actually do, uh, working. Um, yeah. They've they've made some players available on Zoom calls and things like that. So that's yeah been been good to to know that that's actually happening. Um, you know, but they're going to have to make decisions at a certain point and how they want to attack this postseason or whatever. And I think one of the more interesting things is Bruce Cassidy said earlier this week, I think it was NBC Sports Boston, he said to – or was talking with, um, you know, how they're going to approach the round-robin tournament. And he said uh, – I don't want to misspeak here, but I think he said something along the lines of they're going to, you know, they might rest guys during that round robin round when there's seating at stake. I guess just what are your thoughts on that? And do you think it's a smart move? Or well, I got, I got a kick out of it. Cause I think it's a colossal F you to the league and the teams yeah. that they're playing against yep. and the teams that they would play against in the postseason format. Cause first of all, it's basically saying that, they don't care where they're seated. Yep. They, and I do genuinely think they believe they can be anybody in the Eastern conference. I don't think I any, mean, maybe Washington, but like, I don't think there's any team out there that really frightens them all that much. Probably Washington and Tampa would be the two uh, that I think would give them pause. However, I mean, it was always going to be an imperfect system, right? So we kind of knew that going in, but in terms of teams, that just really got hosed by this format. The Bruins are probably one of them because they were far and away the best team in the Eastern Conference during the regular season. They could drop down as far as the fourth seed by the time this is over. So I think, you know, it's – now, I don't necessarily know if Bruce Cassidy would actually consider resting guys um, 
However, I do think that it's a good way to kind of play head games a little bit, if nothing else, where it's like, you know, it just shows like we don't really care what the result of this is. We don't really care who we end up playing in the postseason. Like they're confident enough in their own makeup, their roster construction, all of that stuff. Um, but I am skeptical of resting guys for any game action when they have at that point will probably have not played in almost five months. Like that's where I land on it is I get the point of not overworking, you know, Zidane Chara, but maybe instead of playing them for 22 minutes, you play them for 12, you play Connor Clifton and John Moore for 22 minutes instead. Um, so that's where I think the changes should be made, but I don't think it would be, the wisest move in the round robin games to start benching your or you know resting your older guys because I think all of them too want to see game action. I don't think like exhibition games are going to be enough of a tune up, especially if they play a handful of exhibition games, then playing a couple of the round robin games, and then all of a sudden they've played what two out of a possible X amount of games since March and they're going right into a postseason series against teams that were not resting guys because they had to actually, they were playing a play in round. Like to me, that spells a recipe for disaster. Like you look at a team that's capable of getting hot very easily, like the Columbus blue jackets, you know, say that they get through and they're hot and you've got guys who are starting off slow in the Bruins. It's just, it's walking under ladders a little bit too much for me. I get the sentiment. I think it's a little bit easier to execute in theory than in practice. Yeah, I think it's I, it's not great uh, podcasting, but I agree with you. Like it's uh, it is it sounds like a little bit of tough talk, and I do think that there's a way to for him to come through on that word while also still playing them. And I I agree 100 percent where it's you know the the workload is going to be lightened, but it's not going to be completely uh, eradicated. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're you're gonna get big minutes from um, from guys who don't necessarily get it all the time, but I do right. think you know. And who knows? That's the other thing too is there's no there's no blueprint here. Like we've never done this before, and there's you know I guess maybe you look at it like how you do when you come back from a season, you know, and how you start up a new season, which is gonna be an interesting balancing act where it's like how do you get guys uh, you know acclimated early on. You know, but this time you're doing it for a sprint as opposed to a marathon. Like there's just a lot of unknown, a lot of decisions that guys are going to have to make. And, you know, I don't know what the formula is for that, but they're going to have to figure that out. You know, it would be funny as hell is if Cassidy during these round robin games just started giving big minutes to like his checking lines and you have all these guys just throwing weight, like build a Trent Frederick, Anton bleed, Chris Wagner, line and yeah. they're playing like 22 they're too. playing like 22 minutes a game and it know, could be against... a different a different line every night too like a different fourth line for each game because oh. i would imagine rosters are going to be expanded so you're going to have you know 15 black aces or whatever that you yeah can... oh i would love that just calling up like you know wiley sherman like just big guys <laughs> that have no business in the nhl right now um You've been on uh, some of these Zoom calls uh, with Bruins players. Is there anything that has stood out for you? Any high-button uh, high topics we need to talk about? I guess maybe something for David Pasternak. Uh, yeah, the biggest thing for Pasternak for me was him 
advocating for Leon Dreisaitl so much to win a Hart Trophy, which I disagree. I think it should be Panarin. But he, I mean, I think it's pretty rare for guys to actually speak that candidly about awards. I mean, the heart's a little bit different, but for him to basically cut off the guy asking the question and be like, it should be dry sidle. There's no question, especially when, you know, Pasternak will probably receive a few heart trophy votes. I don't think it'll be a ton, but he'll, he'll get some heart trophy votes. And just to say it should be, you know, Leon dry I thought that was pretty interesting. He, he supported his case too. I mean, I don't think he was just, throwing stuff at the wall. I mean, he, he brought up the point that you know, he took it to another level when McDavid was gone. Like, it kind of negated some of the argument that Drysdale just rides McDavid's coattails. Um, and so, I mean, that's personally what I thought was the most captivating part of that. And, and also the fact that he's had access to ice. Uh, yeah. He's been able to play twice a week. He plays with guys that are also – uh, NHLers that it's like a group of 10 guys. I think he says he only gets on the ice twice a week, um, but that that's better than nothing. Um, so I think that is certainly reassuring for the Bruins to hear that he's had access to ice. So I think the guys that Sweeney named that are overseas are Pasternak, uh, Joachim Nordstrom and Anton Bleed both went back to uh, Sweden and then Pasternak in the Czech Republic, as are uh, Jakob Zaborl and Dan Vladar. So we've got five guys who probably have been able to skate over the last three months, which is, you know, worth something. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be like a, like a European – those players may have the advantage going into this. And, like, traditionally the knock on the Europeans has always been that they don't care as much about the – you know, the Stanley Cup playoffs because they've been raised to try to win a gold medal or whatever. So, like, right. might have, like, a role reversal this year where the Canadians and the Americans are playing catch-up and, you know, the Europeans are just flying all over the ice. So it's, again, it's one of those, you know, many uh, factors to consider. So, yeah, um, I have nothing else, do you? No, I think that about covers it. Cool. All right. Well, um, we will try to find something to, to talk about again next week as well. Uh, I think, you know, as we get closer to, to getting back into it, we'll start to revisit some of the storylines and, and the rosters and start to really break down things from a hockey standpoint. But uh, don't want to jinx anything just yet. And it's still a ways away, so there's a lot to kind of sink our teeth and do down the road. But it is encouraging that, you know, we're getting into the summer and nothing has been derailed as of yet. So we're getting there. It, it yeah, feels weird. Like, Two months ago, we were talking about like, this. Is what is going to happen here? Uh, we're finally getting into the summer, uh, and that's when they're supposed to be hockey. So, yeah. we'll see. all right, Logan, it's been fun. Um, I'm Mo- Mike. I'm Mike. <laughs> that's Logan. <laughs> Just uh, trying to be me. This has been the Nesson Bruins podcast. Uh, subscribe, rate it, podcast uh, wherever you get them. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, uh, and join us again uh, next week when we continue to talk about Bruins. See you then. Bye.